Hi, I'm Erin. I'm Holly. I'm Ingrid. And we're the Smut Report. We're here to talk about dirty books. Na 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 Smut Report! Today we'll be talking about the woke up married trope. To prepare, we all read Lick by Kylie Scott and What I Did for Love by Susan Elizabeth Phillips. Let's get started. So, Holly and Ingrid, bottom line, do you like the woke up married trope? I like it. Depending on my mood, because I feel like it's one of the messiest tropes out there. And I stand by that. So why do you feel like it's one of the messiest tropes? For just, just the premise. Just getting yourself in a position where you woke up married means something went very, very wrong. Usually. <laughs> I mean, and it's almost worse if you didn't wake up surprised that you were married, because then you're the one who pushed someone into it. So like either way, mess happened, and then the whole book is figuring out how to untangle that. And I think that's extremely messy and honestly kind of delicious. So I'm into it. Uh, I don't know if I like, I haven't read that many woke up married books. I feel like, like they work. I guess they're a good impetus for making a forced proximity situation. Although all these people who wake up married, I don't understand why they don't just immediately get divorced. That's my big hang up with them. Well, it would be an annulment. <laughs> they would get an annulled. Also, why are they all obsessed with annulments? Who cares if you have a divorce in your record? They're all like, no, we have to get it annulled so it never happened. I'm like, who cares? Just get a divorce. It's not a big deal. Well, we will discuss that further. And I will tell you all about getting married in Vegas. <laughs> but well, Wait, Erin, do you like do you like the woke up married trope? We have kind of a split. So I really love the woke up married trope because I think I agree with Ingrid. It's one of those forced proximity situations that you're like, well, we're in a pickle now that we really have to work together to get out of even the smallest bit, right? Even if they're both like, we're getting a divorce and we're going back down to the registry office or wherever and we're dealing with this right now, the morning we wake up, it's still time that they still have to deal with each other. Like getting the paperwork done is still time that they have to deal with each other. So it's a binding enough problem (laughs) that- it's not unreasonable that they're together and it's just really sloppy and really messy. And I do love a bit of ridiculous in my uh, romance and life in general. <laughs> so it is fun for me. Although I was looking at my list of books and I haven't read that many either. I think the ones that I've read just have really stuck in my head because because they're crazy. They're compelling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's rewind and talk about like What are we talking about when we're talking about the woke up married trope? Well, I mean, the basic setup is you wake up and you roll over in bed and there's a person there that you don't expect to see there. And then you look at your hand and what is this shiny bling on my ring finger? (laughs) I think that's pretty much it in a nutshell. That's very specific, right? Is there a lot of room in this trope for alternative telling. I mean, I've read a book and I, of course, because I'm Ingrid, I can't remember any of them, but think about even movie connection wise, right? Like, is it Sweet Home Alabama or whatever, where they, you know, like you're going back and you're like trying to get divorced because you got married when you were on vacation and didn't think it was legally binding and now you have to go back and fix it. So like, that's a creative spin on it where it's woke up married, but it's, you know, you didn't actually deal with it back then and now you have to go back and deal with it. So -hmm. that's one way to do it. Um, And then, you know, I think the most common one is, of course, Vegas. But there, you know, there are always the Friends versions where you accidentally got married jumping over a broomstick or something on vacation and it is legally binding, but you didn't know that. 
Although I don't think those are as common nowadays because I think most of us know that that's not really a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking as we were prepping for this, it's like, oh, remember some of those? I, I think I could only find one when I was doing research. But you remember when we were younger and there were the Scottish ones? Oh, where yeah. Where they would like do a hand fast, but like all you had to do was declare that you were married. Yes. And then it's like, oops, sorry, we're and married. And they were like, oops, we're married. <laughs> I feel like, okay, so this, maybe I'm making this up, but I feel like this is like there's the Scottish laird and then like the English bride that he kidnaps Ingrid, you recent you like read all of Julie Garwood's recently, so yeah, like, probably you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> and he's like, "Let's do a hand fasting," and she's like, "La la la!" It doesn't count because it's not in front of a priest. And he's like, "Nope, we're married now, yeah. and everybody knows it, right?" <laughs> so I guess those are kind of woke up married tropes, but they have kind of a different vibe because there's it's like an information asymmetry, right? Yeah, right. and actually, the one that I was thinking of. The McGregor's Lady by Grace Burroughs is like the one that I could remember going back through my books. They both said, yes, fine, I'm your spouse. But he was the only one who knew that that was legally binding because he wanted to like protect her if like she had no money or something like that. I can't remember exactly all of it. But it does seem like this is a much more contemporary romance trope that Mm -hmm. I mean, there are very few maybe historical romances with it just because of the context of how that would work but also like you don't get it a lot in speculative fiction either i was going through trying to find some when we were prepping for this conversation and i found like one jane castle but some of those lists have stuff that i wouldn't necessarily say qualifies as a woke up married trope it's like more marriage of convenience or a deception marriage where somebody gets conned and one person knows they're getting married and the other person doesn't yeah, I, I think that in my, what I would boil it down to is one of two options. It's either that there was alcohol involved or you don't know the customs. Yeah. yeah. Right. So. Or you're just oblivious. Yeah. Because one of my favorites right now came out last year <laughs> and the guys are just really not smart. And they're like, wait, that was legal. <laughs> Even though like they went and got a license and everything, it was so funny. It was really great. I had so much fun with it. (laughs) And that one is, sorry, I was going to talk about it later, but that's uh, Irresponsible Puckboy by Eden Finley and Saxon James. Hilarious. (laughs) Ridiculous. But that's, like I said, they're oblivious. (laughs) They're not like... Okay, so it's like in their normal day-to-day function, it's as if they were under the influence of alcohol (laughs) all the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's so great. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is I feel like a lot of these books, you know, they, they get really drunk and doing this really stupid, spontaneous thing just seems like a really good idea. <laughs> it's like the Bruno Mars song. It's like the, the book version or the trope version of uh, Marry You by Bruno Mars, right? You guys both know what I'm talking about, right? No. <laughs> I was maybe that one. Oh, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. So basically this is a pretty – small window trope. So it's probably one of the reasons that we haven't read a ton of books involving it. So let's talk about the books that we did read together for this week to help our discussion. We read, once again, Lick by Kylie Scott, which is one of the top build books in this category. And then What I Did for Love by Susan Elizabeth Phillips. So Ingrid, tell us about Lick. All right. So in Lick, we have 
a young college student. She's 21. She goes to Vegas with some friends and all she's trying to do is get some action. She, that's all she wants. And unfortunately she wakes up and she's married to a very steamy tattooed man with a giant ring on her finger. And it turns out that he's like a very famous guitarist from a very famous band. And he remembers everything, but she doesn't. And he didn't know that she didn't remember. So um, the whole thing is them trying to figure out what to do. It's kind of, I mean, she's 21. So like, it is kind of like sappy young love where like, once they start getting to know each other again after he's a real real tool bag <laughs> she they're like no let's let's just see if we can stay married after knowing each other for 12 hours so um there's that and then uh they're just working through all this stuff of course he's traumatized and beat some people up and all this stuff so it's interesting but basically the idea is it's the drunken Vegas. he's famous she's trying to figure her life out as a young person and they are trying to figure out if they want to stay married um, so Lick was published in 2013. The Susan Elizabeth Phillips, What I Did for Love, is a little bit older. I think it was 2009. So Holly, tell us about that one. Yeah. So What I Did for Love follows Georgie and Bram, and they are both, I would say, like Hollywood B-listers, you know, so like not super A-listers, but they are recognized on the street and they used to be on a sitcom together as teenagers. So they grew up doing this sitcom together. And the sitcom was canceled because of Bram's bad behavior. And so they are enemies. And they both end up in Vegas and they get roofied and <laughs> end up married. And they're both like, oh man, this this sucks. Um, but they get caught by the paparazzi basically right away. So they decide that they're going to have a marriage of convenience for six months. And Georgie is going to pay Bram to stay married to her for six months. So basically, so the media doesn't feel sorry for her. And because they are constantly being followed by vultures, basically, they move into Bram's house together and throw a like renewal of vows party. Like they, they do all the things that you're supposed to do. And in the process, I mean, you know what they do. They fall in love. There's some good uh, playing house action in that book. There is some good playing house action. Okay. So these are two books that maybe we'll use to guide our discussion. I don't know. But so you guys say you both really like the trope. Can we talk a little bit more about what we think is fun about waking up married. You guys both said that it's messy and ridiculous. So let's tease that out a little bit. Well, I think it's fun because I think it, I mean, one, I'm not going to lie. The mess is the number one attraction for me. I just like it. But the second one is, I think it's interesting because what ends up happening, you know how we've talked about the definition of romance a lot and how the couple has to grow separately and together and overcome obstacles to reach Mm -hmm. their life together, which is what they both ultimately want. And when this happens, it's almost like, they have to get really deep really fast because they not only have to just like figure out big picture responsible decisions. Like let's just say it never happened. What do you want out of this life? Like, who do you want to be? What about your dreams and your hopes and like what your plans were, like how they fit together with a long-term relationship. But then you also have to look at like, why did you do that? Mm -hmm. You met somebody, you were drawn to them. You made a decision to do something reckless. And here's one thing, just quick aside, Usually the woman, but both generally, woman more often, I think, 
this just would never happen. They just decided to, usually they're so prim and proper and buttoned up and they just decided to cut loose and look what happened. So anyway, there's that part, which we can get to the problematic part. But I think that it's interesting that you have to take this, this action that happened when you were footloose and fancy free and making bad decisions and figure out why it was that you wanted to make that decision mm-hmm. and then put it into the context of what you would have done had it not happened. And so right. it forces these characters to examine, like, is this really what you want out of life? What are you really reaching for? I just think it, it forces a really harsh inter- introspection right off the bat while at the same time you're trying to get to know somebody and figure out where that fits in. And so it ends up being like a really dramatic, deep nosedive into a character's wants and needs and desires that maybe would have taken a longer time to unpack. Or wouldn't have un- happened at all. Right. And so I just think it's really interesting because I think it's I think that it's dramatic, but I also think it's really emotionally intimate in a weird way. And I like that. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so just jumping off that, I feel like what you were saying about how the, oh, normally I wouldn't do something like this, that it's this moment of bad decision that is so you so out of what you yourself think your character is, you know, if you're the character who does this, that I feel like really often, and I think the best part of this is it kind of forces these characters to rethink their life in a really significant way, right? It's like they are in a rut and they don't even realize that they're in a rut mm-hmm. and that they need something different out of life and it's this moment of spontaneity gives them the push that they've been needing even if they don't think they needed it so I think there's also a, at least in the ones I've read there has been a strong element of like journey of self-discovery stories yeah, yeah um, going on in these woke up married books. Well, and you can really see that based on the secondary characters or the tertiary characters, because often, like we said, you know, it's like, oh, I made this decision. I ne- never would have normally done that. Well, a lot of times in these books, you'll see kind of restrictive pressure filled relationships with people. And it's like, oh, I have to tell my parents or, oh, my friends are gonna be so disappointed or, oh, what's my boss going to think or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so it forces these people to like, face up to some of these restrictions that were not serving them, you know, it it forces a lot of these characters. And I think we saw that in both the books we're going to discuss this week to face head on the disappointment they were trying to avoid in other people. And it makes them be more honest with themselves and with their Mm -hmm. other relationships. And I think that's what makes a lot of these books more fulfilling is that you're not just getting this one relationship that tends to resolve. And that feels really good. You're also seeing this person resolve relationships that were stuck in ruts as well. Mm-hmm. And so at the end, it feels deeply fulfilling to see this person just, or this, you know, this messy character. There's no, you can't hide it. You got married. You know, it's, I mean, you can, but it, that's the point of the books is that it comes out. Well, I agree with everything you said, and I wouldn't have put it that well. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I The only thing I'd add is that this is one other thing that's just fun about it is that it's wish fulfillment. Like, what is the likelihood that a relationship doesn't end, I guess, and successfully, right? The probability of that in general is not high. Most relationships end. This is like HR training stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Most relationships end. So you kind of have to process this information, like most relationships end, right? But in the romance setting, we get the wish fulfillment of like, 
what if this happens and it's not a terrible decision and everything turns out well and not just in one way, but in multiple ways, right? Right. So if we're talking about wish fulfillment, though, like Lick is a mega wish fulfillment. It's not just that this spontaneous, crazy marriage worked out. It's that a spontaneous, crazy marriage with a super famous, like sexiest man alive rock star worked out to just like this normal girl. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, like super extra for wish fulfillment, basically. Actually, I would argue that both of them, because in the SEP, it's, it's just such a long shot. And they, I have to tell you, I will, I will rave about this later. I loved that book. I thought it was so well done. I'm, they were such huge enemies in the beginning and he was mm-hmm. such a tool. I was like, there's no way, no way. And then I loved him at the end of that book. So I just felt like the the long shot in both books was really well done just for different reasons. And I it was I think you're right, Holly, it felt more fulfilling <laughs> because it was just so fantastical. It's it's got a lot of opportunities for great moments and great tension and great like satisfying big feelings. But when it is not great, it is also very not great. Is that accurate? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. So what are the problems with this trope, would you say? So I have two main ones, and I'll, and they're both related to the setup, I guess. The, the first thing is, of course, you know I like messy, but I like messy that's understandable and relatable. <laughs> so, like, if you're – if it gets too messy – and I feel for authors here because, like, mess is good. Mess is really good. We like mess. But if it's too messy, it's really hard to root for the characters to be together because you're too busy rooting for them to go find a therapist. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's that. The second one, well, it really treads on consent and appropriate Mm -hmm. interactions in the beginning where, you know, like, for example, in the lick, he was really clear. He had no idea she was that drunk, but he was not drunk and she was drunk. Like, she was blacked out Black the out, whole drunk. time. Right. Didn't even remember meeting him. So it's one of those right. things where it's just, predictably, one would think, at this point in his career, because he's not 21, and he's been around the world touring and has a lot more life experience, one would think that he would know better. Yeah. Not just too drunk to get married. Like, she was too drunk to have sex, too drunk to do anything, All basically. Right? I think they didn't even have sex because she They didn't have out. sex. And that's, I think, yeah. something that happens frequently in these stories that they wake up and they're like, oh my gosh, what did we do? Like, what did I do not even realizing I did it last night? And it turns out that they didn't because authors don't want to take it that far. <laughs> it's yeah. like they're saying, okay, I've already taken it to this very questionable space, but I won't take it that far. Except I will say the book that I read for this week, Will and Patrick Wake Up Married, they wake up and they had lots of sex. There were like six used condoms in the trash can. So that was kind of an interesting spin on it. But like they were also both like totally wasted. And like I, I think the sample size is pretty limited here. So maybe generalizations are silly. But for the most part, authors are willing to go like, well, obviously they're waking up drunk. And there's a level of irresponsibility or questionability there. So I'm not going to have them have had sex with each other because that's a bridge too far. And all these factors, like it's not saying that if it has that factor, then it's automatically problematic. It's really how the author handles it and how close they walk that line. 
frankly, just from a slightly soapboxy feminist point of view, I do think it's kind of problematic that we feel as a society that we need to excuse the women can't ever have wanted to do this. Oh, I never do. I, the strongest thing I drink is a nice tea. Mm-hmm. But then they like have this one evening of wildness and then the, everything unravels from there. And I just think that they're, you know, is it a, a huge issue? No, it's not a huge issue. But I do think it's kind of sad that we we still on some level like our characters to be so good, our women characters to be yeah. good. Well, and I feel like at least in several that I've read, there's a dynamic of in the male-female ones where the man is like, you're mine and right and that the woman is like la, 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 like you know that there's there is some of that like alpha male yeah i'm gonna take charge and we can kind of get away with that because we're in this like drunken vegas haze it's sometimes that dynamic carries over into the rest of the book and sometimes it's not so awesome but i do know that some people really like this dynamic. Um, so I don't think that dynamic in itself is problematic, but just flagging that this is something that I think shows up a lot in at least male-female book up married in Vegas books. Yeah, I think there that this trope has a pretty big built-in willing suspension of disbelief. No one, if your best friend came home from Vegas and was like, oops, I got married, and you would be like... I'm going to call my therapist and get you in tomorrow. Like (laughs) you would not be like. And also help you find a lawyer. Right. (laughs) All of it, like in this trope, you kind of just have to enjoy being taken on this ride and just not worry about any of the behavioral red flags that come out in any of these books. And I can't think of a book right now personally that doesn't have some at least heavily pink Mm -hmm. bordering on maroon red flags. You know, (laughs) (laughs) somebody's, somebody's got some questionable behavior going on in these books. And in real life, like you would never want that for anyone that you love. But these are these are different. And I think that these books, you kind of have to be like, all right, we're just going to go along for this ride and let it go. Yeah, so that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I have anything to add. But what do you guys? Okay, so I was thinking about this as I was reading it, because there seems to be like, two main avenues for this to go down. And I think we touched on it briefly earlier. One is I met a stranger and we decided spontaneously to behave out of character and we woke up married. And the other one is I woke up married to my best friend. What the hell just happened? Or I woke up married to my worst enemy. enemy. Yeah. (laughs) What the hell just happened? Somebody that I knew. Yeah. Somebody that I already knew. So what do you think about the interpersonal dynamics associated with the stranger versus somebody that you already know? I have to say I buy the previous relationship. That one, I fall into it a lot more easily than The Stranger. Even though in the SCP book that we read, they were enemies. They kept saying there's a really fine line between love and hate. And I I bought it, hook, line, and sinker. In Lick, I was a lot more skeptical because I was just kind of like, oh, come on. You know what I mean? But it was cute. It was just... I think it would have been a little bit better for me if she hadn't been so young. Because Mm -hmm. it made... You know how we said that there's like that... You, like that buy-in and for me like that that thin line between too much mess and just the right amount of mess I think with her age and his experience in life it just kind of like skewed it a little bit for me but I would like to flag though that he's not 30 or 40 when you're 21 you're very young 
so that's totally valid. But he's 26. He's not so yeah, significantly older than her. He's had. A, he's been he, like wildly his life experience yes. way older than her. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess to be fair, like, which would you rather have an older person who's dreadfully immature or an older person who's their age, slightly older person who's but got a lot their more age life. gap? Does you know? It's it's not the age gap. It's the life experience. Because like yeah. you said, they're not that far apart. It's the power gap. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. The power gap. And he's so wealthy. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll talk about that later. But when- yeah, we can talk about we we can have our whole debate about like later. But I mean, back to your question about just met versus the friend thing. I feel like most of the ones I've read have been a just met thing, and I feel like with those, it tends to veer a little faded mates almost, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That it's like I met this person in this moment of insanity but it's perfect because it was fate and we were meant to find each other or like it's the it's in vino veritas yeah okay right like yeah. it's yeah that's it i agree with you right that but it, that it has this dynamic of it was meant to be you know so it's it's a different kind of read right it's like the the insta love versus the i had these feelings simmering underneath all the time through years of this relationship and now I can let them out. I mean, and that's what's going on in um, what I did for love also. Even though they're enemies, they had all these strong feelings about each other simmering underneath mm-hmm. Yeah, for a long time, which is slowly revealed throughout the book. So like, spoiler alert, sorry. <laughs> but I don't know, Aaron, what do you think about the the friends versus strangers question? Well, I've read some in this category that are like, just kind of like a satisfying little snack that don't really have any bite or depth. Like I read one, Woke Up Wed by Cassie Mint, that it's short, it's a boss-employee relationship, and, you know, it's fine, it just didn't have a ton of oomph. But then you have some where, yeah, they're best friends, and maybe the one got dumped when they were going to have a Vegas honeymoon, or Vegas wedding, and then leave on the honeymoon, and the best friend's like, I'll go on your honeymoon with you, and we'll just like drink our sorrows away, and it'll be great, and then they wake up on like the airplane and they're like, uh, (laughs) what do we do? And I think that's really fun, especially when one might've had feelings. It's, I like the pining, right? Like there's a pining dynamic when you finally get the reward for all of your pining that feels really good when you read it, right? It probably, it doesn't feel good if you're experiencing it, but like having that vicarious dopamine hit from somebody else is fantastic. (laughs) And I've read a couple where they knew each other and they, well, one I just read, Screwed by K.M. Newhold. The one guy just like wants to find love and ends up accidentally marrying his brother's fiance's best friend. But he's already, this is his fourth marriage. And so all of his friends are giving him so much crap for getting married again. And they're like placing bets on how long this one will last. And so the friend is like, no, it's a love match and we will prove it to you because he's, you know, like he's sticking up for this guy. And it's just like, so they kind of know each other. It's just really sweet. So I think it's the dynamic. Like, what do you want from the emotion? Can I just say that is an awesome set. I would read the hell out of that. It's really cute. But I think it's, it's like, what are you going for? So I think I like the soft emotions of the we knew each other and now we get something more out of our relationship that we weren't expecting. But the intensity of like, who is the stranger? I don't want to be with this person transforming into something so robust as forever is 
also a very satisfying feeling. So I think it just depends a little bit on uh, how successful the author is in taking me along for the ride, I should say, and what mood I am in maybe. Like, I really want something soft and cuddly to make me just feel good versus like having big feelings. Like both Lick and What I Did for Love definitely gave me big feelings because it's a roller coaster. Yeah. So before we get into Lick and What I Did for Love, because I uh, I can't wait to like dig into these books a little bit. Erin, as our research maven, can you give us a little background information on how easy it actually is to get married in Vegas? Can we even do this? So fun story. I totally thought that these were going to be completely ridiculous. Like you have to get a marriage license. Like obviously the registrar's office closes at reasonable business hours. People aren't going to just let people, drunk people, walk in and get married. But it is actually shockingly easy to get married in Las Vegas. Like, shockingly. And there are a couple of reasons for this. First of all, Las Vegas made it easier to get married during Prohibition when California passed a gin law requiring a waiting period of three days to try and prevent impulsive marriages or drunken marriages. So you go across the border and you can get married whenever you want. Here we go. Okay. So originally Vegas was the Gretna Green of the American yes. West. <laughs> yes. Got it. And okay. apparently I, I didn't like dig into the statistics, so I don't want to like maybe put a little asterisk or footnote here. But I read a statistic that back in the day, whenever the day was, one out of every 20 marriages performed in the United States was performed in Las Vegas. Wow. Yeah. What? And apparently it was the case that Las Vegas hosted just tons and tons of weddings until about, I believe it was 2004, it started to decline and they haven't really gotten it to swing back up. I mean, if you look at, they have some line charts on there. I bet you love that. I really did. They had some line charts on the website for the county office in Las Vegas and showed like how many marriages. And of course, during the pandemic, like it took a deep dive and it's like rising, but it's not super, super high. More than I would have expected though. But the other interesting thing to me was, so you do have to get a license. So these people who are going and getting spontaneously married do have to think this through enough to go to the registrar's office and get a marriage license. Okay, but follow-up question, is the registrar's office on the strip? Like, where is it? Are we talking they can walk there from the Bellagio? Or is this like a half-hour cab ride away? So, hold on, I'm looking right here. It's close. I wouldn't say it's on the strip, though. It looks like it's north of the strip. Okay, but like, it's like a five-minute cab oh, yeah. ride. It's, it's not, not like... It's not like... Okay. If you're already going to take a cab to the wedding chapel, then you might as well take a cab. So yeah, right. I think there is a bit of suspension of disbelief here. You have to have thought this through enough to follow through on getting the license and going to someplace that will perform the ceremony. That said, in order to get a license, they only require a legal ID and an 18 plus age. You don't have to have a waiting period. You don't have to have a blood test and you don't have to have proof of your divorce or annulment. Cool. Or widowhood. And the clerk's office is open. This is the part that just like, I was like, what? The clerk's office is open from 8 a.m. to midnight every day, including holiday. (laughs) They are never closed. (laughs) And you can also apply online. So you could just like fill in this form online and like go pick it up at the office with your ID. So you're saying that theoretically, if you were drinking on the strip, you could go online with this person you just met, fill out the form, go pick it up, 
and then go find a chapel. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, and it's only a hundred dollars. I mean, like you have to pay a hundred dollars for it, but it's only a hundred dollars. Like it's, there are, if you're like actually functioning enough to kind of think about what you're doing, I don't think we're going to get this far. On the other hand, like there are very few hurdles to this process. That said, apparently it is illegal. It didn't used to be, but it is now illegal to get married while visibly intoxicated. So if the officiants or the people at the chapel or wherever you are, feel like you're intoxicated, they will deny you the wedding because they don't want to get shut down. And apparently they have breathalyzers that they will make people take. And if you're over 0.8, no wedding. So it is shockingly easy. Yes, it is shockingly easy to get married in Las Vegas. On the other hand, I think there are enough hurdles that it's not necessarily something that people are going to do without checking themselves at least one time. So now that I've heard this, I actually think that SCP's book was more believable than the other one because they were roofied. They weren't drunk. Well, they don't have like a test for that. So like they would have very easily been able to like get get through those loopholes. Whereas with Lick, I don't see how, I mean, he said that he couldn't tell she was drunk at all, but I feel like. Like if she had eight tequila shots or whatever, I mean, like there's no way. Yeah, that is definitely a suspension of disbelief component of that book. Yeah. But the SEP, she said in it that it was illegal to get. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe she just didn't research Vegas okay. weddings because Bram was like, oh, yeah, I'm famous. So I just got someone to open oh, yeah, up. Oh, yeah. She said me. that the register. Yeah. She said that the office wasn't open so to prevent it. And I was like, well, yeah, it was like two o'clock right. in the morning. Because remember, they went mm. they oh, was went it out that, late? that thing. Yeah. And then they went to the party. So it was really late. Yeah. So I actually believe it because I'm like, well, that makes sense that they would. <laughs> so right? ridiculous. Yeah, it is worth my time to open up and then I'm going yeah, to right. sell this story. Because Bram also, I mean, he wouldn't have blown anything because he was drinking iced tea. He just got roofied. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think Georgie had like one drink. Yeah. yeah. Just a roofied drink. Yeah. It was like one glass of champagne or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I think, I think we're ready to talk about these books now. Let's get into it. All right, Aaron, it's time to fight. All right. <laughs> okay. Me. So here's the thing. I thought Lick was a bad romance novel. And I thought it was a bad romance novel because of Ingrid's rule of romance. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, I completely disagree with this statement, so let's fight. So it doesn't do anything with Ingrid's rule of romance because our heroine, whose name I don't even remember, (laughs) is not a character. She has no personality traits, and she is... She is a stand-in for the reader, for the reader to imagine themselves in the fantasy of being married to a rock star. Her all, The only thing we know about her is, like, she's a little bit overweight, and she has messy hair, and she's so, so grateful that David picked her. Ooh. That is, that's, like, her entire personality. Aaron. And so there's, there's nowhere for her to grow. Rebuttal. Okay, well hard disagree (laughs) so that's really interesting i did not expect you to go there with that (laughs) i can actually understand where you're coming from i just don't agree with the assessment of the character which i think is normal when different people read romance so the reason that i don't agree is that as ingrid pointed out earlier oftentimes these characters are dealing with a lot of external pressures and Evie is the character's name, but I, I will grant you I looked it up because <laughs> I also have too many too many things in my head right now. Or is she personality-less, Erin? She 
Well, no. So you have the contrast between her and her brother, right? Her brother was like, F this noise, I'm out. I'm not going to listen to my parents and like fit their mold. And she has spent her entire life being the good child. So she is going to architecture school because that's what her dad wants to do. And she's told herself that like that's the responsible, reasonable choice. She's reactive a lot, but when we get to the point where she like finds out some things about David and pieces out, that is her opportunity to think about what she actually wants out of her life. And it still takes her a little while to get that far, but she goes from, oh my gosh, what am I going to tell my parents and how is this going to screw up my life plan that she has planned out like 10 years in advance with like no exciting things happening for her except for her architecture career to, okay, we're going to get out of it and I'm fine, I'm stuck in it to where she gets really mad at him and like stomps out. I enjoyed that scene very much because I related to, I was like, I think more people should be like, you know what? You push too many buttons and I'm leaving and you're going to have to stay married to me. So suck it. (laughs) But she was having these emotional reactions to like, okay, we'll go hang out together to like, oh, maybe this is what I was thinking was real. Maybe what I didn't know, there was something to that, to then like this wake up call when they get back to LA to finally rethinking what she's choosing for herself versus what her family is choosing for her. So yeah, she is kind of a bland character, but I think that's because her growth arc is her going from being a people pleaser who is making herself into the responsible good child that her dad and other people expect of her into the self that she wants to be. Okay, but Aaron, there's one of those moments that you hate where the silly female character sees something, it's not what she thinks, and she like stands by it stubbornly, refusing to believe that there could be any other explanation, right? But it was exactly what she thinks. So I think that that was actually a good scene. Okay, so... You mean mean the scene where she sees David kissing what's-her-name? Yes. Yeah, so, okay, okay, fair. However, it's not just the kiss. It's the fact that she's putting all these pieces together, that she is realizing that the little honeymoon period that they had while they were at David's house, and she's kind of re-realizing why she might have made this impulsive decision, that's all gone, and they're back in David's real life. And it's not just that he's kissing Martha, it's that he hasn't removed his earring yet. It's that he's withholding information from her. It's that Martha is still so entrenched in his life. Like she's already told David she loves him by this point. And we're only like halfway through the book. So we're not going like full spoilery here, maybe. (laughs) But she's already told David that she loves him. And he's he has not reciprocated. He's like, I know. (laughs) Yeah. And it's because of all of his baggage that now the second part of the book is, yeah, she's figuring out herself and like standing up for herself. But he's also, and this is why I think it does meet Ingrid's, even though it's a single POV book, is because he was invested in the marriage first because she was like a breath of fresh air. So he's really upset when she doesn't remember because this was a special night for him. It's not that he fell in love with her. It's that they had a connection, right? So he's not willing, we get through these periods and he's not willing to say that he's in love with her because he hasn't dealt with anything in his past yet. And so when she sees that, it's not just the kiss, it's that he hasn't let go of anything and there's no room for her. So I would, yeah, go, get out, be smart about that. 
Yeah, I mean, and actually that scene is something I thought was fine. But okay, so the other side of this that I think is I just didn't buy the fact that David dealt with any of his stuff either. He dealt with his past kind of by moving away from LA and firing Martha and cutting out his earring in the most extra d- dramatic fashion <laughs> Super possible. extra. You can just <laughs> cut the earring off. Yeah. <laughs> but does he do anything about his anger management problems? No. Does he grovel for like... The way he treats her? No. Does he, do they actually work out what their, like the underlying problem of there's a huge power differential between them? No. They're like, oh, well, you can be my assistant and that way you'll be part of my life. Like that is not a solution to the huge power differential between them. All right. You guys want me to be the tiebreaker opinion? Yes, Ingrid. So I was on the fence about it up until basically the moment that she became his assistant. And then I was like, this is not for me. And the reason is, is that I feel like if she had chosen any other outcome for Evie, Mm -hmm. any other outcome, I probably would have liked it a lot more. But basically what ended up happening is that she went from being a prop for her parents to being a sidekick for her husband. Without yeah. And any... maybe she's not a good girl anymore, but she's still kind of a good girl because she's just going to do what fits into this world. But what fits into this world is more hedonistic, do what you want. And not I'm not saying that she's going to go like do drugs and live the rock star lifestyle because that's not her style. But it's this world is now like, it's cool to just be a barista for your the rest of your life while you figure stuff out and be my assistant, right? It's less rigid, but it's still fitting herself into this kind of she's just very passive and it's not that that's not okay some people are passive but she was excited she herself was excited about all this progress she was making and about holding the line and like she was really so close and then I was just like if if she had decided to take some online classes or had a bucket list of places she wanted to travel and stuff she wanted to go do stuff if she'd been like, okay, I'm going to go, like, I want to hit these spots. And this is like, you know, like if she was doing literally anything, it's not that I didn't think the book was pretty good. I did. It's just that for me, it was one of those things where I felt like I like to end a romance novel feeling deep satisfaction and like warm fuzzies, floods of happiness, all the happy hormones. And this one, I felt good, but I also felt kind of worried for her still. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that I do, I beg to differ. I think that she does show a lot of development considering I think that you're right, that part of her issue that's not spelled out is that she is kind of a flat character in the beginning. Um, And she just kind of goes like, his best friend is like, get in the car with me. And she's like, okay. You know, she just does whatever people tell her to. And then finally she like puts her foot down and goes home and she's just being a barista and doing it. But I still felt like it just missed just a little bit. I think she does develop, but it did. It wasn't satisfying at the end for me. So so interesting, these moments that you guys are nitpicking. Because I'm like, I mean, now, I hear you. You but, get to feel so the way that we feel she, when you're like, did you see what that character did? <laughs> she did not use a coaster. <laughs> done with this book. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to use coasters unless it's a really nice table. So, I mean, I felt like some of these issues were addressed. Like, she's like, I'm going to leave. I'm not going to get in the car with you, Mal. And Mal's like, well, where are you going to go? There are reporters outside. 
and they're going to follow you anywhere you go and you don't have security and I have security or, you know, so like, I guess I had more buy-in in the first place. Okay. But with respect to the end, I think it's interesting because it seemed like, it sounds like you guys wanted a little bit more permanence for her, but I felt like the... No, it's not she that I wanted permanence. I wanted to know that David respected her. That was the whole thing with him trailing her back and forth from the coffee shop, though, that and giving not, her space. That is not respect. That's showing that he missed her. He liked having this girl look at him with stars in her eyes. Like, she's so lucky that she, that, like, how how could someone as amazing as him be with her? He missed He missed that. And maybe he missed the, like, we have these great conversations. I don't. I don't know. I don't remember these details. Um, I just remember the things that made me angry. <laughs> but he did it. He never showed that he respected her as a person. I mean, I I didn't read. So, like, I read that with the stars in her eyes thing. I thought that the reason that he got with her was because she didn't have stars in her eyes. Yeah, she was like, right. I'm not into no. this. You know, yeah, and no, I, I mean, she but, doesn't even like his music. She listens yeah, to country right. music. Right. I mean, so that's fine that he he initially liked her because she wasn't like, oh, you're a rock star. And it's and when I say she has stars in her eyes, it's not because he's she's excited yeah. that he's famous. It's that she thinks he's the most beautiful person she's ever seen. Okay. And she yeah. can't believe how that. talented he is. And she loves listening to him sing because he has so many gifts. And that she's not beautiful and she's not talented and she doesn't have any of this stuff. That's what I mean. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it makes I sense. I, don't, I, didn't, I did not read the same vibe. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was like going back to this question of fantasy and wish fulfillment. It's, it's just like it's wish fulfillment. And I understand why so many people like this book, because I felt like it was really easy to just put yourself into Evie's position, right? Mm-hmm. Because because she is kind of blank. And the, you know, that this is a book about about like imagining what this amazing thing could be, mm-hmm. right? Rather, yep. I mean, and for me, that's why for me it didn't really work as a romance because it, it felt very like reader insert to me rather than watching two characters. Does that make sense? It does. So. I wonder if you're something Holly because I feel like she because she is kind of a passive stretchy character I wonder if it like the outcome really depends on the like if the lens so like some books are very strong like the plot is very like this is what's happening but it, it stands on its own legs you know what I mean and some stories there's the reader has to bring a lot more into the interpretation mm-hmm. Than, mm-hmm. Um, and this might be one of those books where I think the reader has to, because of the way that it's written the, and the character and all of it, that the reader has to kind of bring more to the table. And maybe that's why some people are like, I'm obsessed with this book. And some people are like, I don't like it. Because yeah, hard me, I'm like picturing the person I was at 21 and doing that. And I was like, oh, no, that's not a good idea for you, sweetheart. You know, but like, mm-hmm. if you're somebody who has largely had fairly positive experiences with. <laughs> I mean, well, maybe that's why I have a different experience than you guys, because I like with respect to putting yourself in the in the position of the character, Evie's character, or what lens you're looking through when we're talking about the end and you guys both kind of have similar feelings about that. I mean, generally speaking, I didn't have a lot of like 
Are you trying struggles? to say that you were less of a dumbass when you were 21? No, I'm we not were? trying to say that. It's just like, I, I mean, I was maybe more like, true. I mean, well, she's, a, she's, she's I married my high school romance. Yeah. Like I married my high school fail. sweetheart. <laughs> I was also very young when I got married and I, I am also a person who's like, I'm going to do the right thing and like have a plan. I'm not quite as clueless. I don't know. I'm not quite like on the Eevee level, but I, I can see the satisfaction in saying, I'm going to make my own choices now and having the safety net of a partner who can support me both supports the fact that that's what I want to do and also financially support me because who wants to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to be a barista, but now I have to stress out about whether I'm going to make rent every month, you know, or whatever it is. So, and that factors into the wish fulfillment category, but like being able to say, I'm throwing my whole life away and I don't know what's coming in the future, but at least I have a support system in place that I feel like I can do it. And I found that satisfying. I mean, I totally get I get where you're coming from and I can understand how that would be an emotion that a reader would have that you have had after finishing the story in terms of, especially after our last conversation about these characters finding their own independence. Mm-hmm. And that's part of like the happy ever after of these books. But Well, and she is only 21. You know, so like, it's okay at 21 to not know exactly what you're going to do. I right. That's why it wasn't like I didn't like the book. It's just that I was like, I didn't end it being like, this book is amazing. Whereas with the SCP, I was like, oh my gosh, my knees are shaking. Well, so let's talk about SCP. Okay, that one was bananas. I remember the whole first part of it just being like, this is the best enemies to lovers ever. This is the best enemies to lovers ever. I had such a hard time picturing her ever willingly getting into bed with him. Guys, I can't even mm-hmm. tell you. It was so good. He so was, good. He was such a He was such asshole. a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, I was like, wow, this is incredible. I hated him for her. I was like, you are so much better than him. And then it just slowly, slowly shifted and changed. And I was, it was so, so fulfilling. I mean, you knew when we started, though, that he was going to be a hero who like looked bad on the outside, but like right. had a heart of gold on the inside. Right. And it was just how and that I was going to manifest. Right. And I think one thing that Susan Elizabeth Beth Phillips did really well was peel back the layers slowly. slowly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that even when it's revealed that all of that, all of his actions that make him seem like a douchebag are fake, except for the fact that he's lying about all of his actions. But he still thinks that he's a douchebag, mm-hmm. even if he's actually not financially insolvent, even though he's actually not an alcoholic, even though he's not doing drugs anymore, even and though hooking he's not, up with many women everywhere. Yeah, right. He's like not sleeping around. He like is supporting a homeless prostitute. Like he's like trying to work really hard to like get back into the good graces of Hollywood. But in the end, he like he still thinks that he's a douchebag mm-hmm. until yeah. the end. Yeah, which is makes it even more amazing that he was able to fight so hard for that screenplay because I was just sitting there the whole time like, surely he's going to like hit a point where he stops believing in himself or something. It was just, oh, it was so good. I loved her development too. It's not like in the beginning she was like, oop, got to do what daddy says. You know, she, you could tell she wasn't comfortable with it, but she was also being very passive and doing what her dad told her to and 
you know, had been in this marriage and I, especially the part where she's talking about her relationship with her ex and about how, you know, he wanted to have like this, like sex maven coming on to him all the time and making him feel like a big man and stuff. And that she was just like, okay, then that's what I'll do. So I think the author does this amazing job of just chunking out, like she just throws these little like details at you. And at the time they don't seem super consequential. Sometimes they do. But by the end, it's like this character, these characters were so built out. And even that some of the secondary and tertiary characters, I got a little worried when they did the different perspectives. Because I was like, oh, great, is this going to be like women's fiction at this point? But it was just the right amount. It was just it was just so well done. And then by the end of it, you've got these like really dynamic secondary characters that are all supporting this relationship. And it was just really fantastic. I don't even know why it wasn't weird when they do this scene with her dad getting it on in a car. That should have been weird. I know, right? <laughs> so I want to go back to what you, you said about Georgie doing what her dad says. And I feel like it's really interesting reading these books next to each other. Yes. And maybe this is why I liked Lick Less is because I read What I Did for Love first. Oh. Because the main characters have kind of a similar thing going on right where we have a heroine who's a people pleaser who's doing whatever daddy tells her and then a hero who's kind of a bad boy like breaking her out of her shell whatever but i think the difference is is that in the susan elizabeth phillips sep there's there's not a power differential between the main characters, right? That they, they're they basically equal in power. They're about the same age. They ha- both have money. They both have careers. And Georgie doesn't give a fuck what, what Bram thinks of her. She's just like, like, you know, you were talking about how in her previous marriage she, ha- she would lie there to be, or she would be a sex maven. And with Bram, she's just like, whatever i'm not gonna try we can have sex but you have to do everything i don't care what you think of me and that dynamic is not happening in lick at all yeah so i think that's kind of a big difference well they have a different approach to their relationship though because they have the animosity on the one hand you've got the animosity on the other hand you have this oh maybe my drunk brain was telling me magical things about myself so yeah their sexual like experiences are completely different but i did i did like i feel like lick was more what we would see in a sexual awakening romance for a heroine Mm -hmm. versus what i did for love i mean but it is her sexual it's her sexual awakening she's just like i'm not gonna wear sexy lingerie I'm no, just but gonna, she's like, saying have great sex. I don't like come no, the, me. <laughs> can I finish? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> she she's has this opportunity to be like, I can have what I want mm-hmm. because I don't have any emotional investment in this. So that makes her free to take what she wants instead of spending her emotional energy on trying to make her partner happy. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is. Yeah, it doesn't matter, which I think you've said, and I'm kind of reiterating in a different way, but like, it doesn't matter to her because she doesn't care about him. So that provides them both an opportunity to be like, just honest with each other, instead of trying to manufacture a relationship that is based on an unreality. Yeah, although their honesty, I thought was kind of funny, because their honesty is predicated on her thinking that every every single thing he says to her is a lie. Yeah, which was a nice depth to that. I got really frustrated with 
with her at first. I was just like, oh my God, let a person talk instead of just like projecting all your own stuff all over everybody else. That is something that frustrates me about characters. But like, okay, fine. We're going to have a dynamic character arc. I'll set that aside for now. But the fact that, that Susan Elizabeth Phillips was able to kind of use that as a big plot part of the plot made it better yeah i mean so like the scene where she drops her ring down the sink and she's just <laughs> oh like oh my gosh that was so <laughs> she's like, it's like, where's your where's your ring she's like i dropped it down the sink you could just buy me another one and he's like ah! <laughs> and he goes and gets her like five carat diamond and she's like i thought it was fake and he's like like why would you think that and she's like, she's like you told me it was fake <laughs> and then she's like I liked it better when it was fake. I think that was the moment where, you know, it's like. Well, you... Also, she she was like, do you know? She's like, I left it on the diving board when I was swimming the other day. Like <laughs> the places she's put that ring because he said it was fake. It was so funny. Yeah. Well, and I think if I'm remembering correctly, he never actually says it's fake. He just kind of. He says he got it on eBay or something. For $100. Right? Oh, she says I got it on eBay yeah. for $100? Okay, I didn't remember. Yeah, I mean, it was a blatant lie. He lied okay. about it. Yeah, okay. it was not a hint. It was, yeah, it was, I mean, there were, he did not shirk outright lies. That's. Yeah, he said flat he's out, playing I, I games just had with a cigarette. Her, yeah. yeah, and she's like, you don't taste like smoke anymore. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I just had one. <laughs> Uh, that's the fun dynamic when they're like poking at each other well and that's the thing so like i liked it when she is grappling with her feelings and he's like wait a second i don't like this you're supposed to like how am i supposed to tease you and make fun of you if you're like not doing it back (laughs) like it was really funny so anyway i just thought it was delightful it was so funny and just because it's like it's just from seemingly very different from her other marriage and the only way this is one of the beauties of like how the author sets up this trope in this book is that it's very clear that because of the way that the relationship starts that's really what gave her the freedom to be herself because for the first time ever she wasn't trying to make him happy she didn't care it was all fake so it's just so charming that like the way that she's able the character is able to find her happily ever after kind of had to be this way in this absolutely crazy circus of a book. It was so good. Anyway, I was very satisfied with that book. So this is a romance. So it's going to end with our protagonists together. Um, But like they're already married. So how do we feel about how authors address that situation and like make it feel official at the end again? when it's already legally official. Well, I mean, they. I feel like they always have to have this moment of, I choose you. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sign the divorce papers. I'm not going to... Move out. Or I'm thinking actively, I am going to renew our vows. I am going to move to a new city to be with you. To be with you, yeah. Do you think that how they resolve this component of their marriage ties into their reaction when they first get married like typically it's okay so in lick they're like we're gonna get divorced and the plan is that obviously this was a mistake and we're gonna get divorced and we'll just deal with the paperwork and everything else in the meantime is just like waiting for that to happen until 
you know, mm-hmm. one thing leads to another and they end up talking to each other more meaningfully. In the Susan Elizabeth Phillips, they're dealing with repercussions to their reputations if they are seen to be having a careless marriage. So they're inclined to stay together for business reasons or for like a fake relationship type of reason. Mm-hmm. But it, I didn't feel like in either of those cases, their reasons for being in the relationship in the first place impacted their decision about how they made their declarations at the end. Yeah. Well, and I thought it was interesting. I mean, this, this is going to be a little tangential, but I'll tie it back in that the media played such a huge role in both of these books and and them deciding to stay together, even in Lick, right? The, like the fact that they're spending time together while figuring out the paperwork is basically only due to like the crazy paparazzi that's started following Evie around. And so I think this outside pressure of you have to keep this relationship together um, for security purposes and, and like not just for reputational purposes, but for security purposes, like is kind of what informs their initial decision. And then their later decision to stay together is kind of despite the paparazzi stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I think in these two books, the initial decision and the final decision are not as closely linked because they're more, the initial decision is a lot more reactive um, to the outside circumstances rather than to how the characters are feeling in themselves. So there seems to be a big theme here of like, getting to make a choice by the end decision getting to make a choice of our own free will versus because we found ourselves in this situation right they're trying to take the reactive aspect out of their relationship but they're already stuck in a legally binding relationship so i always find it interesting when they go into this conversation and they're like well we have to break up because how do we know if it's real if we don't like choose each other anyway which always makes my head explode because it's not like you can't do your own soul searching without blowing up your entire life like there are times sure when you like need you need to go to a therapist or you need to go get some outside help or you need to take a minute to process your own thoughts in an isolated way but like I don't think you necessarily have to go as far as filing for divorce (laughs) if the ultimate end goal this is the thing about day of the duchess the sarah mclean yeah the sarah mclean book day of the duchess it's it's a 400 page grovel because (laughs) he was horrible to her when they were married and she left and there's there's a lot of baggage there and she's like i want a divorce well it's victorian england so they need an act of parliament to get a divorce so he gets her one and then they get married again. I was just like, I can't with you. I can't with you people. <laughs> well, no, but Aaron, that's 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 like That's his grand gesture. Other. I get it. Right. And I still hated it. Wow. That's an incredible waste of taxpayer resources. <laughs> I think it's interesting about the grand gesture though. <laughs> you should see the faces they both made at me when I said that. It's just a classic, Aaron. <laughs> With the paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> These are the things I think about. 
No, I, think I don't think Dukes are worried about taxpayer resources. No, I don't think they are either. I think they kind of feel like they're, it's their due. But I mean, that's like the, the thing with Dukes, but um, which we will have coming up. Woo woo! Duke bracket preview. But anyway, I think that it's it is really interesting, and I think that a lot of that does boil down to the choice versus the coercion part of it. Because if if it starts with coercion, then there has to be the choice given later. At some point, the choice has to be made. In the beginning, if it's mutual, it's almost like they're fighting more with themselves. Like, let's say it's a situation where the two characters are both mutually choosing to, to go through with that first for some reason. Grandma's dying and will break her heart if she finds out we're divorcing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is her dream come true. Then it's, you know, there's the internal fight versus the struggle of having to fight each other because you're you, one of them has been coerced. And so then I think the grand gesture comes in. Because if, if there's been deceit or coercion, then I think there's more likely to need to be a grand gesture. So that could be part of it. Yeah. So then what does that grand gesture need to look like to be satisfying? Or like, what are the grand gestures that we see? Because well, it... I don't like grand gestures. I'm not a grand gesture girl. <laughs> I like modest to reasonable gestures. <laughs> so it seems like, yeah, me too. Sometimes it seems like... And this happens in marriage convenience books, too. The gesture is, our old one was fake, so it's meaningless, so we will dissolve that legal union and and redo it. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes it's just, we're going to have another ceremony, but we're not Mm going to... Like divorce and Divorce and then remarry. Right. And then sometimes it seems like they just decide the low-key gesture, as opposed to the grand gesture. They sit down and they talk about their feelings. They're like, so you want this? yeah, I want this. I want this too. I guess we're staying married then. And, you know, like it's, it's not a full blown ceremony. Yeah. So I feel like the, the low key, let's talk about our feelings thing uh, can show up more in the oops, I married my best friend mm-hmm. kind of books. I feel like in these, in oops, I married a stranger books or in the case of what I did for love uh, because they were enemies, they had to have the like, the dramatic recommitment. The sudden sweeping vulnerability was necessary. Right. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and so in Lick, he, you know, he does the commitment uh, or, you know, he makes the gesture of he moves to the city where she is. So to show that and buys a condo for them um, to show that he wants to meet her halfway, I guess. I don't know. Maybe it would have <laughs> been nice if he like let her help him pick out the condo. That, like well, she's uh, don't even get me started what kind of loan is she gonna get you know what i mean no like don't even get me started on partners making executive decisions about right living arrangements that's a whole maybe we have another podcast about that we just okay. rant for an hour okay okay <laughs> um but um and then in the sep they do at the end have like a, a small family recommitment ceremony yeah and it's very that. small Right, because they had their like their big party where the party planner tried to trick them into doing a public recommitment ceremony, and they dodged that. And like, that's like the big moment where Georgie realizes, like, oh shit, what has happened to me? Mm-hmm. And can I just say, I had the biggest reaction to this book in the scene after that, 
where she's asking him if he's fallen for her and is like, don't worry. And he's like, no, it's don't worry. I have it. You don't have to worry about it. And then he calls her and is like, after she leaves, he's like, you probably thought I was lying to you again, but seriously, I'm not, I'm not in love with you. And I was just like, oh my God, you're such a big dummy. I can't believe you're doing this. Um, It's been a while since I had such a big reaction to the book, but I was just like, Ah! Like <laughs> you are so dumb. That's <laughs> so a side note. Well, they oh. tried to do, they tried to have the performative ceremony. They had part of the performative ceremony, but then when it came down to it, they ended up having something meaningful for themselves at the end, and which I, I was glad of I because I was just kind of like, I just don't see that for Bram. He's he keeps his cards close to the vest. I don't think that he would be one to like make some kind of him telling the media that they had had a farcical marriage like that was about as like vulnerable as I could see him realistically getting so oh, him, yeah, I like that scene yeah, yeah so him like renewing his vows was just like I don't see that so I liked it because I felt like it was more believable that he would be like I'm not doing that do you know what yeah I mean? but being nice about it because he loves her yeah even if he's a big dummy and doesn't know it <laughs> He was a big dummy. That poor guy. And then he had to like almost get like killed in the ocean to realize it. Crazy. <laughs> it was just such a small scene though, too. Sorry, I'm making spoilers right now. I'm glad it didn't I'm glad it didn't become more of a scene. And I was so frustrated when it happened, like right after. I was like, how is he gonna dig out of this? Because after all the lies and more lies and lying lies, like there is no trust here. Even though by that time you're like, oh bro. I love you. He Why really, are you doing this? He was such a dingus. I mean, the number of ways. It wasn't even like, because normally I feel like at that point I would would have expected. This is another reason why I liked this book so much. At that point in the book, I would have expected the author to be like, well, he's, I've redeemed him so much. If I go backwards and have him backslide, that how's that going to show that he's a good guy? But she just fully commits to the backslide because he's a dingus and he doesn't realize <laughs> like how he's really feeling. This is just one step too far for him. So she really had to make him suffer. And I loved it. (laughs) It did have more of an old school structure. It did. Than a lot of the books that I'm reading right now. And I I appreciate, but without a lot of the like full blown emotional constipation, because he was so emotionally traumatized by his own past that like, Mm -hmm. it was more about he couldn't accept himself than because he's like, just an emotionally constipated jerk Mm -hmm. i yeah i always think that's an interesting aspect of resolving both this trope and like marriage of convenience tropes is re-cementing their relationship because i find it hard to feel satisfied by what they do a lot of the time Mm -hmm. given that they're already legally together so which is just aaron that's like such a mindset because i (laughs) do not have that problem because for me i'm like it's all about the feelings and you're like it's all about the legal paperwork feelings are obnoxious and i don't like them yeah hilarious so anyway i thought that was pretty funny because i was just yeah i think it's sweet that they're like although apparently the success rate for there's like some statistic i have to find it this was years ago maybe it's changed by now or maybe they've debunked it but that basically like if you renew your vows, that it's like you're statistically less likely to stay married. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. But, okay. So here's my here's my armchair psychology on that is that people who are renewing their vows are doing so because they know that their marriage is in trouble. Yes. And they're, they're doing trying to this last ditch attempt to like recreate that moment. 
Yeah, and I think that that, but I think that that little tidbit of trivia knowledge has kind of spoiled some of these for me because if they get remarried, I'm kind of like, oh, well, that's probably a bad sign. <laughs> so I like it when they just do something special for themselves and something quiet and like for I don't know, but that's just me. So I, I do too. I do too. But I think that also depends on like I have a friend who we were talking about oh, the movie Marry Me. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of an "Oops, We're Married" trope because, right? It's the it's the Gen- Jennifer Lopez movie and Owen right. Wilson movie where, like, she's going to get married, she catches her fiance cheating, and so she just randomly marries Owen Wilson, who's in the audience with his daughter, right? Um, and it ends up working out for them. And my friend who I was talking to is like a very devout Catholic. She was like, I don't like movies like that because it doesn't take marriage seriously. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's like the essence of her, like why she doesn't really care for those types of romances. And I was like, Oh, I do not have that problem at all. I do not have that kind of emotional investment in a covenant, which I think is not the same as I felt when I got married. Well, like now that I've got 15 years under my belt, I'm like, I think part of that is that when you get to a certain age as a woman, you're like, oh, oftentimes that covenant is kind of at the woman's expense. So like, I reject that a little bit. (laughs) Let's talk about mutual respect and like negotiating a marriage that works for everybody instead. Anyway, that's my little tiny wee soapbox, my teeny weeny one. Yeah, I think the other thing is it ties into that HR training sort of blurb that I had that most relationships fail and reading about people leaving abusive relationships. So then they go into their next relationship, ensuring that they have a way out, like ensuring that they have a hidden safety net of like financial account or ensuring that there are ways to protect themselves emotionally and financially. And that is just smart, but it's not very like romance novel romantic. Right. 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 Well, I mean, I think in romance novel romantic is like, you know, so you take Georgie and Bram's relationship where they have a marriage that's based on mutual financial benefit. Right. And in romance language speak, we call those marriages of convenience and they are not real marriages. They're just like we both have a goal that we we are agreed on. We both have a goal and we're trying to achieve those goals. And by signing this piece of paper, we can achieve them more effectively together. But for a romance, for it to hit as a romance, we need more than that. We need we need that moment of emotional connection and emotional vulnerability to show that this piece of paper isn't just about our financial business goals. It's also about our shared emotional growth. I was going to say it's a surprisingly juicy trope. I think that um, it's hard to tie it up in a nepo because it's a hot mess trope. It's just a hot mess. And I think some people are going to love it. Some people aren't going to love it. And I think that's okay. Yeah. Sounds right. All right, guys. So beyond licking and what I did for love, we should all drop a recommendation for another (laughs) woke up married book that you really liked. (laughs) Ingrid, your face. Do we laugh? Do we laugh? We're we're asking Ingrid to remember a book that she read. So that's a very large. Remember a book that I read. One just on the spot, on the fly. <laughs> Think of one without go- doing your research. You guys go first. I'm going to find one. So I am going to preface Saturday's Muddy Six for this, I think, as well. 
So I might have more than one recommendation of varying, like varying degrees of awesomeness. I will say I, I do really, I did love Lick. I really loved what I did for love. Those are great stories to start with. And you might choose one or the other based on our conversation today. But I also loved Irresponsible Puck Boy, which is these <laughs> two doofuses. So the premise is the one guy is he thinks he's straight. Um, his best friend is gay and he's having so the the straight guy is having relationship issues. His girlfriend wants to get married and he's like, No, I'm not ready. Uh, but if I could just like get over my fear of getting married, then everything would be fine, right? So he's like, you practice this with me and we'll do a practice wedding and, and then I'll get over it and it'll be fine. Except for the practice wedding ends up being a real wedding. <laughs> and they're hilarious. And they're so not smart. <laughs> but of course, like the best friend has been secretly, the one guy has been secretly in love with his best friend and just like, and the what the the best friend who's straight has no boundaries. So he's like, walks in on the guy after they he's had like a one night stand and he's like what's the problem you guys need to make room for me in the bed and it's just like it's just very it's so fun it's so <laughs> <Sorry>. much <laughs> he's he's a real himbo dex is a real himbo so right. irresponsible puck boy another the one uh another one that kind of subverts the trope a little bit was web of lies by isla olsen they meet in las vegas for another friend's like bachelor party and they haven't seen each other in years after they're falling out and they goad each other into getting like they're playing a game of chicken and end up getting married because they're playing this game of chicken and they're like well we'll just get it like annulled in the morning and then it's not that easy and they just like they end up going back home and it's just like things conspire against them but the reason that they end up married to each other is because they were both too stubborn to say no and then they're forced back into this proximity with each other where they have to like go through their baggage okay so i have some recommendations so one is honey girl which is by morgan rogers which is a sapphic woke up married book and you know we gotta have at least one of those in the world i will say it's it leans a little more women's ficky and it's very much a journey of self-discovery for Grace, who is the protagonist slash, it's in third person. So not narrator, but basically you're only in Grace's head. Mm-hmm. And for her, for in this book, this is, you know, she marries a stranger and it pushes her out of her complacency, basically, and of her accepting a life that really isn't working for her. Yeah, so that's one option. Another one that I've enjoyed is A Forest by T- Between Us by Allie Winters. And this, in this case, the hero and heroine got married five years ago um, in Vegas. And the heroine didn't think it was real. She thought it, it was just like a, like you go to the chapel and it's like a fun tourist thing you do, but it's not a real marriage. And her friends are like, you dumbass. Um, and she goes and looks it up and finds the record of her marriage in the Nevada um, <laughs> County Registrar's Office. And so, but the guy she married, like, basically has no online presence or social media or any way for her to contact him besides uh, 
showing up at his house. Um, so this is again, you know, she upends her life and goes and basically she goes to try to get an annulment, but they have to spend time together. Like one thing leads to another, like they have to get an appointment with the judge, things spiral out of control and they're, they spend more time together. And one thing I liked about this is unlike in the other books that in how Ingrid was talking about, the woman is frequently like, oh, this is so out of character for me. In this case, she's like, oh, man, like I always make these like spontaneous, stupid decisions and they bite me in the butt and damn it, it happened to me again. Well, I don't know how to tell you this, guys, but I'm not going to be able to contribute to this part of the conversation. It's not even like I didn't have time to think of this. I just... Yeah, it's fine. I don't know that you might have read any because going through the list that we went through to decide what we were going to read for this week. Right. I probably I know for a fact that I have because I can think of it very easily, but perhaps not for the blog. And I definitely don't remember anything. So you'll just have to take my word for it. You know, there are a lot of tropes that I think part of the reason we took us so long to do a tag for this is I think that one, we haven't read very many of them, but also there are a lot of tag overlaps. So that might be why I'm having a hard time like thinking of a title because it was probably tagged differently. But um, you're right. I feel like compromise is like a whole other subset mm-hmm. that is very similar to leads to a very similar dynamic to the oops, we're married thing. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not quite the same. And I I do think it it does skew heavily toward more contemporary. If you are curious about any of the books that we've talked about, check out our show notes. We'll have links to titles. And stick with us this week as we continue to look at some more books that involve this interesting, messy trope situation. Woohoo! Woohoo! We love mess. (laughs) Thanks for joining us on the podcast this time. We'll see you next time. See you later. Bye. Na 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 na